Section 34 of Familiar Instructions and Evening Lectures on All the Truths of Religion, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Patrick Randall. Familiar Instructions and Evening Lectures on All the Truths of Religion, Volume 2, by Father Louis de Segur. The Psalms We have already spoken of the Psalms, but it is so important and so practical a subject that we must return to it once more. The Psalms are prophetic hymns and divinely inspired prayers, and were almost all composed by the prophet kings David and Solomon. They form one of the most beautiful books of the Holy Scriptures, and it is of faith that all the hundred and fifty are inspired. The Psalms are all prophecies in the sense that they all express, more or less clearly, the adorable mysteries of our redemption. There is a great number of which we are bound to believe this, the Dixit Dominus, for instance, which our Lord Jesus Christ interprets by applying to himself in the twenty-second chapter of the Gospel of St. Matthew. The fathers of the Church have all interpreted the Psalms by applying them directly to our Lord and to all the mysteries of his divine kingdom from the beginning to the end of time. These holy canticles relate equally to the second coming of Jesus Christ and his final triumph, both on earth and in heaven, and to his first coming, followed by the terrible struggles of his militant church. In almost all the Psalms, there is what may be called an outward and historical meaning, which is only of passing interest, whilst their real value consists in all that relates to the personages or events figurative of the Messiah. David himself, like so many in the Old Testament, was indeed a prophetic figure of the Christ King who was to come hereafter, and the accounts of the greater part of the events of his reign, and of the reign of Solomon, which gave occasion for the composition of the Psalms, were only prophecies, only symbols, of great and divine mysteries which Jesus Christ himself was one day to accomplish, as King of the true Israel, King of the Holy Church, first militant and then triumphant. The combats of David and the glories of Solomon have comparatively little interest for us. But that which does interest us closely and personally are the combats and triumphs in which Jesus Christ our King engages and overcomes with us and in us for the salvation of our souls and for the glory of God. We must, therefore, pierce through the outward and historical meaning which lies upon the surface to reach the hidden spiritual and Christian meaning, which is not only the most important, 
but the only important teaching of the Psalms. The Christian who does not discover Jesus Christ beneath the outward letter does not rightly understand what he reads. St. Augustine used to teach the people of Hipponium that Jesus Christ is, to all the books of Holy Scripture, but especially to the Psalms, just what the soul is to the body. The historical portions, he added, have no other object than to represent and to manifest the mysteries of Jesus the Savior, even as the wood of a lyre is only placed there by the workmen in order to sustain the strings and to cause them to vibrate beneath the touch of a skillful musician. If, therefore, in reciting the psalm, you have there discovered Christ, you have found the true sense. Si intellexisti Christum, tonc intellexisti. If, on the contrary, you have not discovered Christ, you have not found the true sense. Si Christum non intellexisti, non intellexisti. This observation is sufficient to make clear to us the divine significance of all the Psalms, and to teach us also that they are not easily understood. But it is very consoling to know that when we recite them as prayers, they greatly glorify God, because Jesus Christ, who prays in us and with us, supplies for our ignorance by grasping in our stead the full purport of the words which he himself inspired to his prophets. Jesus Christ praises and glorifies his heavenly Father by these psalms, in the name of the whole church, in the name of all creation, in the name of heaven and earth. And in this we are greatly honored that our Lord has made choice of our lips and our poor, faltering words as a living organ by means of which these holy canticles may be ever echoed and repeated from one generation to another throughout succeeding ages. In reciting them, we must therefore first of all unite ourselves to Jesus, who, as St. Paul says, prays within us and in whom we pray, Christus in quo oramus. It is far sweeter and more devotional to sing the psalms than simply to recite them. The same psalm has often many different meanings, all equally true. One example will be sufficient to explain this. Take, for instance, this short one, which everyone knows, the hundred and sixteenth. Laudate Dominum omnes gentes, laudate eum omnes populi. Quoniam confirmata est super nos misericordia eius, et veritas Domini manet in eternum. Praise the Lord, all ye nations, praise him, all ye people because his mercy is confirmed upon us, and the truth of the Lord remaineth forever. First sense. It is the prayer which the Savior uttered during the days of his mortal life, 
to express to his heavenly Father the desires he offered up as the Redeemer of mankind that all the nations of the earth should acknowledge, bless, and love the one true God, and reap the benefits of the redemption, and see the Lord reign over them forever. Second sense, the same prayer and the same desires offered up by Jesus Christ living in his church, and gaining by her means all nations to the one true faith. Third sense, it is the prayer of the church, of the pope, of the priests, and the faithful, rejoicing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and calling upon all infidels and heretics to share in this great happiness with them. Fourth sense, it is the prophetic cry of King David, who, from afar, hailed the future Messiah, Christ the Lord, and invited all nations, the Gentiles as well as the Jews, to adore him and to desire him to reign over them. It is prophetic of the universal reign of Jesus Christ and of his church at the end of time before the last judgment. It is prophetic of the return of the Jewish people, who, after having denied the Christ, shall be perfectly converted and shall receive, through the mercy of God, the confirmation of the ancient promises. Fifth sense. It is a prayer prophetic of the glory of Jesus Christ at his second coming and of the joy of the militant church which finds consolation in her present trials and for the hardness of heart of so many people by contemplating from afar the universal and eternal triumph of the true Solomon. This psalm is as certainly a prophecy for us as it was for David, for it announces to us events which are not yet realized, namely, the entire and simultaneous conversion of all nations, the final return of the Jews and their restoration to all their ancient religious privileges, and lastly, the eternal reign of Jesus Christ, who is himself the truth, the living and incarnate truth, Veritas Domini. This beautiful psalm is also a canticle of sacred joy and of acts of thanksgiving by which we thank God for all the graces which he gives us. By this short example, we may judge a little of the spiritual treasures hidden in the Psalms. We will give one other example, but in a few words only. The miserere is known to everyone, it is the cry of repentance, yet of sweet and humble confidence, which goes upward to the throne of God, first from the sacred heart and the divine lips of Jesus, burdened with our sins, and asking pardon of God for the whole world's iniquity, of which he is the victim. Second, from the sacred heart and the divine lips of Jesus, living in his church, and through her doing penance for the sins of all mankind. Third, from the heart and lips of every Christian, 
of each poor sinner, first for his own sins, and then for those of his brethren. Much more might be added, but the little I have said will be sufficient to give to pious souls a key to many other psalms. Let us therefore love to sing them, these sacred canticles of our Lord, in imitation of the faithful of the early church. The melody to which the church has set them is full of beauty, and yet so simple that the most ignorant can easily join in them. The tunes to which they are sung come from the East, and are of great antiquity. The singing of the Psalms lifts up the heart to God. The Church invites us all to sing, and if some grow tired in Church, it is because they do not enter into the Catholic form of prayer and do not sing with their brethren. Our Lord Himself in many psalms invites us thus to sing His praises. Sing, sing unto the Lord, sing with understanding. Let the whole earth sing the praises of God. Cantate Domino Omnis Terra End of section 34